Hello and welcome to an episode of Bring Out the Podcasts. Took a week off, had some personal stuff going on. Anyway, we are back. JT Van Gilders here with us. JT, how are you doing? Uh, doing all right. It, it finally feels like fall here in Kansas. We'll see how long that lasts before we get summer <laughs> and or winter. You know, it, it could be whatever. We'll find out tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, we will. And yeah, it should be fun because it, it's Armageddon. It's coming this weekend. It's Manhattan. So we brought on Levi Stevenson, uh, wide right Eddie Levi. Levi, how you doing? Good. How are you guys? Doing well. So let's start with, I saw apparently someone asked Skylar Thompson today if he thought that there was a rivalry between Iowa State, which to me, it was a surprise that the question was even asked. And I, right. he said definitely yes. Like, I don't know, kind of what's your take on that? Or what do you, how do you think the Iowa State players feel about it? Oh, I mean, I think it's an important game for Iowa State. I mean, Kansas State had our number for a long time. And the last couple, I, in the last couple, Iowa State, or two out of the last three anyways, Iowa State has won. So kind of getting back on track a little bit there. And I know it's I know it's an important one, especially like to Matt Campbell, who, you know, got to beat Bill Snyder in, in his last Armageddon game. And I know that they're really, really hungry, especially to get one down in Manhattan since we haven't won there since 2004. So I know, and and I know that they feel like the 2019 and 2017 games. They I know they feel like they squandered those away, and that they should have won those games. And well, in 2015, we should have won. Now that was Paul Rhodes, but in, in 2015, should have won that game. Um, so I know the program as a general feels like the last three of them down in Manhattan. They should have come away with those, you know, but didn't execute down the stretch or whatever. Yeah, there's been certainly it feels like a lot of K State magic in the series. You mm-hmm. know, notably that I mean, Skylar Thompson's first game. That's, he talked about that's one he he really remembers fondly, yeah, for obvious reasons. Yeah, so yeah, with the rivalry thing, I mean, so honestly, for me, you know, given what K State KU is every year, it's hardly a rivalry. Like, I mean, JT, I think you could make the argument that this is almost K State's biggest rivalry at this point, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I mean, it's the two teams are two programs are very competitive. They're looking for the same recruits. They're you know. Then looking at the same bowl games when they're eligible, you know, they're the, a win in this game is probably, you know, at least it wasn't last year, but you know, even in uh, 2019 was the difference between an eight win and a, you know, a nine win season, the program. So, you know, it's, there's definitely a lot on the line for these two. And I, I think the fan bases have really jumped into it. I, you know, KU is yeah. so apathetic about football. It's, it's hardly <laughs> even fun to interact with their fans when it comes to football. And then they're so, you know, haughty on basketball. But then, you know, the opposite's true with, with Iowa State. Like, they're engaged on football. They're engaged in basketball. You know, they, they're very rabid and great to interact with. So, yeah, it's definitely definitely much more of a rivalry on the fan side against Iowa State than it is against KU. Yeah. yeah. So then, Levi, as a follow-up to that, I mean, does this reach the level of the Iowa rivalry for Iowa State? <laughs> uh Probably not, not the Iowa game. Okay. That's, that's a, that's a different, that's a different level of rivalry. That's not just, it's not just an in-state deal. I mean, it's all, it, it goes deep. There's a deep cultural divide there. It's per like it, it, that, that rivalry is, is almost too personal for a lot of people. Um, uh, but Kansas state's just a good fun one that we, that we like to, we like to play you guys. Cause they're, they're two extreme, extraordinarily similar schools. And it's just a good, fun matchup and stuff like that it's competitive um but in, in basketball and football it's just a good fun rivalry it's 
like I said, not not Iowa. It's a different rivalry than the Iowa game, and it's not quite that intense, whatever. But it's uh, still a really fun one that we like to have fun with. Right. Yeah. And I think honestly, we we kind of appreciate probably that you guys don't take your trolling level to the same heights <laughs> as you do against yeah, Iowa. That, it's probably honestly a good thing that Farmageddon isn't that level because that <laughs> that kind of rivalry can get nasty sometimes. It's like it's it gets it gets pretty bad sometimes. <laughs> It reminds me a lot of the rivalry that K-State and Missouri used to have, you know, with the unholy alliance and we'd pick at each other and and get mad at each other. But at the end of the day, we both hated KU so much that it didn't really matter. And, you know, we could we could pummel sure. each other. And then like the next week, like, hey, you know, FKU yeah. and we're all friends again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. So I guess that's a talk about the actual football. I mean, this is a, it's a really big game for both teams. Kansas State obviously doesn't want to fall to zero and three i don't know when the last time that happened they ran with three conference play and then you know for iowa state I, I don't think they were planning on having a couple losses at this point certainly taking the third not something they want to do um you know how high is the concern level for iowa state right now um it's an excellent question because you could probably get about 10 different answers for 10 different people <laughs> yeah. um i would categorize it as a medium concern and and dropping partially because it the concern level can never get super high just because the defense is so good that, I mean, you can, you can keep yourself in any game, uh, any game at all. You can, you can stay in just because of that defense offense seems to be finding a little bit of rhythm. We'll see. I think Kansas state will be a decent test for that, but they, they, they struggled early in the year, but it seems like they're getting a little bit of rhythm. And I think this bye week probably helps too, where they can, they had a chance to really beat up and put some, put up some points on Kansas and try some, try some things against Kansas that they hadn't really throughout this year. And, and a lot of them worked. So taking some of those lessons learned and implementing them over the bye week, I think was a good, uh, I think it was a well-timed bye week for Iowa state, but it, whatever concern level there is largely, largely falls on the special teams shoulders because as of right now, I saw as the FEI index, Iowa state is currently sitting with the 127th ranked special teams unit in the country. Wow. It's real bad. The kickoff team is good when they don't have to do anything. When Andrew Davis puts <laughs> it out of the back of the end zone, they're really good. <laughs> and he's doing that more and more. He went eight, he had put all eight of his kickoffs against Kansas out of the end zone. He's doing it more and more. And I, I would expect, and he even actually commented about this week, trying to keep the ball out of Malik Knowles' hands yeah. and making sure, making, making a huge point of that. So I think the plan is to have him send it out of the end zone every single time if possible. And that will honestly, that'll be the best thing that could possibly happen for Iowa state on special teams is not, not letting Malik Knowles touch the ball. <laughs> Punt team is always, is, has been an adventure this year. They at least got a little bit of stability last game with Cameron shook. He's not a boom. He's not going to boom it, but he gets good, good hang time. And which is really what you're looking for on punts. It, it's kind of astonishing this year, how, how bad special teams has hurt Iowa state. Cause not only did they give up the return against Baylor, but if you look at average field position this year, Iowa State is like is like a hundred and tenth on offense and like ninety second on defense. Like the whole team has been playing really far behind on field position all year, and it's made made it's made life really difficult. So if the special teams can be a net neutral, where they at least they don't make any catastrophically, they don't have to be world beaters, but they don't have to just as long as you don't make a catastrophically terrible play, like in Iowa where you let the punt just bounce and go back 20 yards to the two yard line or like, or you give up a kick return touchdown or something, something stupid, or you have a terrible shank punt. It's like, as long as they don't do that, it's as long as they can be a net neutral, it's fine. 
Like, yeah, it's good enough. <laughs> like that's just don't just don't screw up. Yeah, and certainly Kansas State, not the team you want to play when you're struggling. On not special even teams. a little bit. Not <laughs> even a little bit. So I saw the, I saw the stat earlier that it's like that Malik Knowles only returned like seven kicks, but he's taking two of them back and he's averaging like forty yards per return. <laughs> I think I quote tweeted that was like just super awesome. <laughs> Like feel pretty good about Iowa state when, you know, when, when either team has the ball, I feel like I feel all right about our chances, but boy, do I really hate the idea of playing special teams against Kansas state right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then, I mean, an absolute nightmare. Ty Zentner has been pretty solid as a punter too. Yeah. He's been a pleasant surprise. And, and Tate and Winkle has been pretty, pretty solid as a kicker. I, I so. wish Iowa state would take a, 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 a play out of, would, would take a play out of uh, Kansas state and Iowa's playbooks as far in just getting their specialty. Like, that was the one thing that the Rhodes teams did well, actually, for you know, for all the things that they didn't do good. I mean, they usually had at least a solid defense. The offense was always horrible. But the thing that was actually almost most the most consistent was special teams. They were they always had good special teams on the roads. They had good kick, they had yeah. good coverage teams. They had a good they had Kirby Vanderkamp who was an excellent punter. They had a couple decent, they had some decent kickers, uh Cole Netton and Zach Geyer and a few others. Some very, very good kickers, punters, coverage units. Those units did their job and they and they put other teams in long field positions. They gave Iowa State good field position and at least give them gave them a chance to win some of these games, some games where they maybe shouldn't. And yeah. if Iowa State had that advantage, you know, just a you know a quick related side tangent. You know, when you, know, <laughs> when you played when we played Iowa in the second game of the season, everyone like if, if you aren't like aware of what Iowa's thing is this year, they have one of the worst offenses in college football, one of the best defenses in college football. And their punter should be a Heisman candidate. He's he's an unbelievable punter. Like last week, they played Penn State. They just uh, they actually like they abused Penn State with their punter. Like all they like they didn't care about scoring. They just made Tory, they just had Tory Taylor punt it, and it landed on the five yard line every time. And Penn State just event just kept turning it over and all that. And I would say, and I would just kept, kept kicking field goals and stuff. And that's how that's how they've been winning games. Now I don't want to be. I don't want to go full. I don't want to do that. Uh, that sounds miserable but like but what what if you look at iowa is number one in the country in in field position on offense and number 19 on defense i think so they're dominating field position battles every every game they play and if you look at their the differences in their field position and based on the number of possessions in a game you can math that out and essentially their special teams unit equates for about 180 extra yards that they don't have to get on offense per game because their special teams is so good and they're turn and they've turned for so many turnovers. So it doesn't matter if their offense is bad because they have 180 yards of offense just built into their special teams. Like what, an, <laughs> what, an, what an incredible advantage that is. Like, yeah. like Iowa has objectively the worst offense in power five and it's not even close. They can't do anything. <laughs> they can't move the ball, but they don't have to because the defense and special teams gets them the ball at the 35. They go back five yards and then they kick a field goal. And that's how they get all their points. <laughs> and, and it's infuriating to play against them, but it's, but damn, if it doesn't work, <clears throat> like, I mean, that special teams unit is, is a weapon and, and Kansas state has done the same thing for a long time, partially because yeah. Bill Snyder established that because he was a disciple of Hayden Fry, like guess, right. who, guess who else? <laughs> Kirk Ferentz. They were both yeah. the disciples of Hayden Fry, both emphasize special teams and defense and both have absolutely punished teams with special teams. Um, yeah, Iowa has led, the, has led college football and in interceptions for like 20 years and Kansas state has <laughs> led everybody else in special teams for like 20 years. And yeah, and it's, would, it's interesting that Kansas State has been able to 
sustain that success. I think right. a lot of people thought that it would fall off when they didn't have a designated special teams coach anymore. But Kleiman has been able to sustain it. I mean, JT, are you surprised as I am that's been able to happen? I think a little bit. I think we all underestimated, you know, his ability to come in and see what kind of weapon that is for a yeah. team like Kansas State that doesn't have, you know, maybe only has a couple of elite athletes. And, you know, if you can really buckle down, I mean, that's that's a bunch of extra points or a bunch of extra yards for your team. Like you're talking about with Iowa, you know, starting at the 35, you know, we're, you know, when the kickoff team works well, then, you know, we're starting at, you know, near midfield every time or, you know, Malik's returning kicks for a touchdown. And, you know, that's a, that's a pretty big difference maker for a school like K-State that they can't just line up the Jimmys and the Joes and say, okay, well, we're going to beat you because we're just bigger and faster and better than you. Yeah. So it's Chris Kleiman's a smart guy. And I think he came in and realized like, oh, hey, you know, we've already got this culture built in. I might as well use it and continue that and, and keep it going. Well, and part of special teams, too, especially coverage teams, most of it like there's not there's, there doesn't have to be a, a tremendous skill level involved on special teams. It's guys that know where they're supposed to be and that are not afraid to die on the football field. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like we were talking about this on, on our podcast, Dial the Pipe and Natty Light last week with a couple with uh, J.D. Wagner and Marchie Murdoch. Both of them are former players. Um, especially, and J.D. played some special teams. And like he said, he was talking about too, is like basically you need a couple, couple good, like you need on special teams, especially cover, especially kickoff coverage, is the best thing you can have out there is some psycho, but like walk-on linebacker <laughs> that doesn't care about shit. And he's like yelling down the field like going ready to take somebody's head <laughs> off. Like that's, that's how you play special teams. And it, it, you need a bunch of tryhards is what you need essentially. Yeah. In case it has a yeah. lot of that. In case it's got a lot of yeah. tryhards and a couple of really, really good athletes. And that's how they do really well on special teams. They're well coached too, but part, but special teams more than just about the more than really the other two, other two phases of the game is really about effort. It's how much are you willing to put into, you know, to getting to that ball, getting to the ball carrier. And that's what Kansas State has done so well. And that's that's something that you can you don't have to have a special teams coach to teach, you know, giving a shit. Like that's <laughs> you don't have you, yeah. all you need is a good motivator. That's what you need. And that's not to say like Iowa State doesn't have good motivators on the staff. I don't I don't I don't know what their special teams practices look like. I don't I don't know what any of that looks like. What I do know is that we've sucked ass at it this year. And it <laughs> needs to get better. That's that's what I know. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so that'll be something interesting to watch Saturday for sure. But then uh, when Iowa State gets the ball, though, the offense, and it seemed like at the start of the year, part of the problems was just Brees Hall was not really himself. I think he didn't even hit 70 yards his first two games. But, I mean, is he back to, to being Brees Hall again? Yeah, like, Brees was a little dinged up to start the season, but he's at full he's at full speed now. He had like 100 and, okay. 180 or 190 yards against Baylor and had like 130 in, in three quarters last week. I think he's up to full speed. Part of his problem too was that even when he was he, when he, even when he wasn't at full speed, you know, ninety percent Brees Hall is still a pretty good running back, or eighty yeah. percent still a pretty good running back. And the uh, the offensive line, the run blocking has been up and down this year. Sometimes it's been good, and, and other times you can tell that they really miss like a guy like Dylan Sainer, who really helps set some of the tone in that run, on that on the run blocking. Um, and they still do miss Dylan Sainer, I think. But Brees is up to speed. They've done a good job the last couple of games getting him out into space and letting him open it up a little bit and break off some big runs. So I, I'm not worried about Brees. I mean, he's I would 
venture to say that he's back to 2020 Brees now, now, now that he's healthy mm-hmm. and, and allowed to do his thing. If he gets 20, 25 carries, you can about book him for 100, 125, 130 yards. Yeah. And so then maybe the, the, the bigger question is what kind of Brock Purdy you're going to get better. I hesitate to, <laughs> to say anything bad about him after what he did to Kansas state last year. I felt like that, that first half was about as perfect the first half of football as a quarterback can play. Yep. I mean, has has he reached that level again since then? Before, since? <laughs> you know, it's Brock Purdy is such a is such a fascinating quarterback to look at because there is almost nobody else that has the ability to go between you know, mediocre and then looking like damn like darn near the best quarterback in the in the at least the Big Twelve, if not beyond that. Like he can he fluctuates between truly elite and then mediocre on what seemed like a week week to week basis. And which so I mean that's that's been the key that's been the key thing that he needs he he's needed to develop his whole career is consistency. So what does that mean? I I don't know. Uh, the last I mean against Baylor <laughs> he looked pretty decent. He looked he looked okay against Baylor. He had he had a good stat line. Looked a little nervous. Missed a couple of throws against Baylor. I mean looked super comfortable against Kansas. You know what does that actually mean? I have no idea. Uh, but he his first yeah. he, in his first five pass attempts of the game in the first quarter against Kansas he had four touchdowns. So I. And a couple of them were like really nice long throws, you know, 30 yards down the field in the corner in the end zone to Charlie Kohler and then 50 yards downfield to uh-huh. Joe Skates. So, I mean, some nice throws in there. You know, that's if there's a better first quarter to be had, I don't know what it is uh, than five passes for four touchdowns. But um, and then the other one was a completion still. Mm-hmm. But the problem with looking at KU for stats is it right. might as well get stats <laughs> from like, your what, spring what, game. What, I mean, they're going to be about as useful. Mean? <laughs> I think what it what it does mean, you know, what you you don't want you don't look at the numbers so much like oh four touchdowns and five passes and he had this yards and this yards per completion and yards per attempt. I don't think you look at that kind of stuff so much as it's more of a looking at game film and seeing does Brock look comfortable? Like I mean, you know, the the easy what you know it, the simple question is does he look like he's having fun? Like does he look like he's enjoying football? Because like there's there's times when when Brock is struggling, it's when he looks super stressed, like he he looks like he's in his own head, and that's when he that's when he makes mistakes and in sometimes in almost always in bunches where he won't he'll go quite a stretch without really making any mistakes, and then he'll make a bunch of them right in a row, and he'll throw two or three picks in in, a few, in you know in consecutive possessions and stuff like that, and, and he gets impatient and stuff like that. But when Brock Purdy's having fun, you see Brock Purdy, and he's really good. Um, <laughs> And I think he was yeah. he was comfortable last week. Does that mean he'll be comfortable in Manhattan? Not necessarily, but I think they did see some stuff against Kansas. They said, you know what, this might be worth trying because we saw like like the especially like the deep bomb to Joe Skates. We've been waiting for a second re- uh, actual wide receiver to step up for a little while now. <laughs> Joe Skates seems like the best candidate. For that. He was a four star. He's like a low four star, low to mid four star guy coming out of high school. He's got re- he's got a ton of speed. He's a burner. And he was he was burning guys against Iowa. He's burned some guys against Baylor. Like, I mean, he was he's burning against teams with legitimate speed back there, not just Kansas. And I think yeah. they were trying to establish some rhythm there to, to try to establish him as a deep threat. Um, and I think, you know, he caught it with 10 yards of space against Kansas. But if you know, if you catch it with two yards of space or 10 yards, you know, 10 yards of space against Kansas or two yards of space against Kansas State, you know, either one, it's still a, still a catch for a touchdown. And so establishing that that's an op, that's an option there that you can build some rhythm there and try out some new things that you hadn't really experimented with too much up to this season. I think that was valuable. 
you know, beyond yeah. that, you know, it's it's hard to extrapolate too much from Kansas, but I do <laughs> I think the offense is trending upwards because I think Charlie Kohler is healthy now. Finally, he was having foot problems a lot of the season, so his cuts weren't very sharp or anything like that. He was just kind of doing what he could. But now Charlie's 100%, Reese is 100%. So you got your two guys back. You got your two guys back that you really need to have back to compliment Xavier Hutchinson. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, Xavier seems to be picking up where he left off from his first team all the 12 season. Must be a nice luxury to, to be looking for a second receiver. It's good to say it's still looking for one reliable <laughs> guy at this point. <laughs> but yeah, then also, I mean, you mentioned Charlie Gore was obviously a big part of the offense. And then, you know, just it's kind of bizarre looking at Chase Allen's stats. He had seven catches at a big game against Baylor and then has done virtually nothing. In any of the other games, so yeah, Ch- Chase Allen is Chase Allen is not really a primary receiving threat. He caught a bunch against Baylor because they I must have seen something on tape where they thought they could get him open, and they, they clearly did. But Chase Allen's never really been a primary receiving target. I mean, I think he's got like two career touchdown catches or something like that. I mean, he's primarily he's more of a blocking tight end. He, he I, I think he's underutilized as a pass catcher, but I do think he's. In, in the scheme, I think he's primarily a little bit more of a blocking tight end than a pass-catching tight end. So if they can find a good excuse and a good spot to to use him, they will. But Charlie is definitely the one is definitely the tight end that they, they scheme to get him catches because they know yeah. what he can do. Chase Allen is more just – he's more of an – it's more of an opportunity-type target. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, we're going to take a quick commercial break. Be right back. All right, and we're back. So, yeah, we talk about passing. It seems like Kansas State's passing offense, already pretty bad, is going to have a lot of issues against this Iowa State secondary. You know, just how good have these guys been against the pass this season? I mean, there's a reason that everybody, every defense, and every seemingly every college football team in America is starting to copy Iowa State's defense now um, because it's it's just really good. It's really good at, at shutting down deep passing attacks. It's good at shutting down the run. It this season has been no different. There wasn't many questions about the Iowa State defense coming into this season, but the few that did exist were like a second corner and to see what Will McDonald would do, you know, where he where he when he was the primary pass rusher and he was going to get all the attention as opposed to having Jaquan Bailey there to eat some pressure, to eat some of that blocking. But they've passed generally with flying colors. Detron Young and TJ TJ Tampa has really stepped up and I think he's taking control of that second corner spot. Like I would think a lot of us thought he would at some point, but he's done early in the season. It's been very good. Ishim Young has had a really good season. Anthony Johnson continues to be very good on that secondary. Uh, and Will McDonald has been extremely productive. He's drawing multiple holding calls a game. He's getting set. He's still getting to the quarterback. I mean, he's a terror on that edge. He causes a lot of problems. In part of the attention that he's getting has now allowed a guy like Zach Peterson to have a nice breakout season too on, on, on the opposite defensive end spot. Uh, and any Wazirike still continues to be an extremely valuable defensive lineman that can play on the edge, that can play in the middle. The defense has answered every single call this year. They, I mean, they've been nothing short of phenomenal. I mean, that's yeah. I firmly believe that is a playoff caliber defense. I, I don't think there are four better defenses in the country than Iowa State. Mm-hmm. And then Mike Rose, uh, Randy Deep, Big Twelve Defensive Player of the Year, and he actually his tackle numbers are down a little bit. But is that because teams are just staying away from him at this point? It's not- I mean, kind of a little bit. They're staying away from him, and it just kind of depends on where teams run to. Because if they're running in the, if they're running like inside zone stuff, then that's more like uh, Orion Vance slash. Uh, well, Orion missed a game or two, and, and uh, Gary Vaughn stepped in. That's more middle linebacker and Jake Hummel type of stuff. Mike Rose is a is a really good sideline to sideline guy. 
So his tackle numbers are down a little bit. But if you watch the tape, I mean, Mike Rose is still Mike Rose. He's still, you know, even a fringe first round linebacker, day two pick at the worst type of guy. I mean, he's he's still Mike Rose. Yeah. So, JT, if you're Courtney Messingham, you know, how do you try to attack this defense? And maybe, you know, any thoughts on how much Skyler is going to be able to run this week? Man, I don't know. I I mean, you look at the stats, and Iowa State leads the Big 12 by a wide margin in passing defense. They're just behind K-State, who somehow still leads in rush defense. You know, I I don't know. I mean, it, it's going to have to be, you know, you're going to have to play mistake-free football on offense, pick up some scores on special teams, and then, you know, just just hope that you can, you can sneak Deuce Vaughn in for a uh, you know, a, a trick play or something, you know, where he, uh, a screen where you can get into a, a bubble and then, you know, use his maneuverability to get around some of these guys and get some yards. But, you know, on the whole, I, I'm not as worried about Skyler not running. Mm-hmm. Drew just dropped a, a good piece on Skyler's passing. And I, I think we've talked about, well, we haven't on the podcast, but talked about it in other circles about how much better Skyler actually looked when he couldn't run the football against OU, like he, yeah. he didn't have a run. I mean, there was one rush, but it was a sack and that doesn't really count. I wish that college football <laughs> would stop counting those as rushes. That, that's <laughs> not what that is, but he didn't run a single time against OU and put up great numbers. I mean, it was his, one of his best passing days of his career because he was able to, to look at second and third and fourth receivers and go through his progression because he knew he wasn't running. So I, I think he, he's still got to be able to do that against Iowa State. But mm-hmm. you know, if if you're picking your poison, I I think he's still going to have to run effectively to pick up those those chunk plays, five six yards, you know, to to get second and short or third and short instead of third and long on an incomplete pass that he wasn't able to do against OU. But you know, it's. You're just going to have to to nickel and dime and claw. And like Levi said, take a page out of Iowa's playbook and and it'd be really nails on special teams, not give Iowa State points on offense, you know, really lock down, even generate a turnover. And, uh, you know, normally we say the best best defense is a good offense, but, I you know, we're going to have to rely, I think, some more on the defense and special teams than offense to generate much points. It could be a very low scoring kind of affair. Yeah, yeah, I think that's the only way K State wins this. I don't think you're gonna you know, win a shootout against this Iowa State team. Uh, <laughs> but you never know. Well, but things so, have we, happened. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Levi, I'm I'm curious. You know, given that Iowa State has lost a couple, still very much in the Big Twelve title race. I mean, what does a successful season look like for the Cyclones at this point, given that the high expectations they came in with? I think a successful season looks like at least contending for the big for a Big Twelve titles game spot late into the like you know into into November. I think you can have a successful season without making it, but I I think especially with how wide open everything is and nobody at the like absolutely nobody looking invincible at all mm-hmm. or even even anything resembling it. Everything is still on the table for Iowa State, so I think fans would still be a little bummed if we didn't make it. But I think you can, you know, if you end up, let's say uh, you lose two conference games, you end up eight and four in the regular season and you just miss out the title game or something like that. 
it's it would be maybe a tid a tidge disappointing but i think i mean that's still uh i think that's still a positive season um it'll end up with iowa state in probably like the alamo bowl or something like that and it'll it'll be fun and all that it'll feel like a little bit of a waste because of who all came back but you know having charlie Kohler and brace hall injured to start the season doesn't help anything and you know it, it is what it is i i think i i yeah, I think as long as they're as long as they're pushing for a title game spot into into November, I think that's the key, really. Yes. So basically, that game at Oklahoma on November twentieth, you want that to, to mean something. I would like that to, yeah. you know, if I was taking if I was state wins that they get in or something like that. Like I I love yeah. for that to be the case, and I think that would be that would be a successful season because especially with Oklahoma looks pretty vulnerable. That defense is not oh, yeah. anywhere. It, that defense is not. It's still not good. It's still an Oklahoma defense. It still is extremely vulnerable. I, and Iowa State has had Lincoln Riley's number. So if Iowa State can be in a position to to be to to you know to clinch a berth going into the Big Twelve title game by winning down in Norman, you know I think they got a really good shot at it. And I would like Iowa State to be in that position. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you just got to look out for the replay officials when you play Oklahoma. <laughs> Or yeah. yeah, just like just Officials like in 2019 in when they just when they just didn't blow pass interference on that two point conversion. <laughs> Whatever, we'll just ignore that. Uh, yeah, but yeah. No, I don't know. We's we'll see. I I would like that to be the case, and I think Iowa State's got a good shot at it because I think uh, or not. Well, good shot. What you know, whatever that means. But like, I think they've got a shot at it. I think it's all still on the table. Kansas State, you know, down in Manhattan's a tough road game, but West Virginia is not what we thought they were going to be, and that was probably outside of Oklahoma. That was the toughest remaining road game. You get Oklahoma State and Texas at home, and both of those teams look pretty vulnerable. So I think it's it, everything is still on the table for Iowa State, and I think they still got a, a decent shot at still accomplishing all the same goals we thought uh, at the beginning of the season. Nine and three with a title game berth would be perfectly acceptable. Yeah, yeah. And so before I ask you to to make your prediction for this game, I do want to ask you about you know, Iowa State has become one of those teams that seems like has a bunch of different kind of weird uniform combinations i know we, we have at least one staff member who's really not a big fan of alternate and like that she hates the all blacks uh what what do you think of the all the i would say uniforms and what are they oh, gonna I, wear this saturday I, I mean i love them i mean i think i think it's great it, it gets people talking about iowa state you know if, <laughs> if there's lots of people that love them and they're like oh dude look at those sweet ass black uniforms that they that they generally do really well in and, and other people are other people don't like them and it's still pub it's still publicity and but well, what I do know is that the players love them. The players love playing in the, in the black uniforms or even having a black helmet or a black, a black jersey or something like that, even if they mix and match a little bit. The players love them. Look good, feel good, play good, all that. I'm, I'm all for it. <laughs> there you go. All right, so you want to give us a prediction for Saturday? It's going to happen in Manhattan. I think, I think the special teams will take a little bit of a step forward to the point where they can at least be a net neutral. I don't think they will continue to be a catastrophe this season. And Andrew Miva's doing his job and kicking out of the end zone will go a long way towards accomplishing that. And I think Corey Dunn, who's been the who was the punter previously, I think he's pretty much I think he's I don't think he has a job anymore. The other guys they have left there are not world beaters, but they're stable enough to not screw it up. I mean you got two a punter and a kicker that they're just they can do their job without screwing up. That's good enough. So I think the special teams can at least be a net neutral for Iowa State. As long as Brock Purdy isn't throwing tons, of, isn't isn't turning the ball over a lot, I think Iowa State stands a decent chance in this game. Kansas State, I think, will have trouble moving the ball. If, if Skylar Thompson is healthy and can run it, we'll see. But last year, Iowa State shut, just totally eliminated Deuce Vaughn. I mean, he was a non-factor. Um, and and when, you, when you took out Deuce Vaughn, Kansas State didn't do much. Deuce Vaughn's still a really good player, but 
I think Iowa State's defense is really good at their exceedingly good tacklers. I think I was looking at we were looking at a stat last night that like Kansas State, I like for example, because Kansas State is generally known as a pretty fundamentally sound team and stuff like that. On defense, they have like a 14 ish percent broken and missed tackle rate. So like how often they either have a tackle broken or they miss the tackle. Iowa State is at seven percent. So they, I mean, it's exceedingly rare to see them miss a, a miss a tackle or have a tackle broken. And even if they still usually have someone right behind them to wrap up. So Iowa State is is an exceptionally good defense. They have been all year. So I think it really comes down to turnovers and not giving them extra possessions to try to get something going or to hit or to get some short fields or anything like that. If Iowa State can avoid putting Kansas State and getting Kansas State short fields, I think the defense can really set the tone. And I think Iowa State can come out of there with a victory. Because uh, I think barring a special teams disaster, I think Iowa State is better than Kansas State on both sides of the ball. Less so on defense. Uh, and often, I don't know, offense is really hard because I think Iowa State's ceiling is maybe a little bit higher, but the, you know Kansas State's floor is maybe higher. So I, I think, I think it'll be close. And I think by the end, Brees Hall, I think Brees Hall will get plenty of carries. And I think he's the kind of back to that. He gets better as the game goes on. Generally speaking, he doesn't really get tired or worn down, and he he usually wears other people down. Um, so I think with a steady dose of Brees Hall and Charlie Kohler, I think Iowa State can kind of can kind of really. Go on. They might go on some more, a little bit more methodical drives and really punish that Kansas State defense and, and wear them out a little bit and maybe maybe pull away a little bit at the end. Not really like multiple, not like three, four touchdowns at the end, but if it's a touchdown game for most of the game and then Iowa State maybe makes it a two a two score game in the fourth quarter or something like that, I think I think that seems like a pretty reasonable outcome. Okay. What do you think, Jason? So, so if you want an actual score, I'll say <laughs> I'll, I'll say. Th- 31 21. Okay. I don't know. Uh, 20 to 19 speaks to me. Okay. Um, 20 to 19. <laughs> <laughs> Just, you know, that, that, it, it, it speaks to me. I, I, that one, that one feels good. The question, the question is how many, how many PIs are they going to pick up to get to that score? <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Well, so, yeah, I'm not on that 2015 game. Don't that don't was, uh, don't don't uh, mention that 2017 game to March. He gets all sorts of fired up because he was on he was on that team or whatever. He get, he gets all oh, sorts yeah. of fired up about that 2017 game. <laughs> oh man! Oh, well, Levi, thanks for coming on. I'll give you a chance here to plug yourself. Always as always, you recommend people who read wide right and too. But uh, you got a podcast as well. Yeah, so we are on Twitter. We have it's it's wide. It's at wide rt natty lt. We have. We have three podcasts a week now, plus a YouTube show on Tuesdays. Yeah, we've been cranking out quite a bit of audio and video <laughs> content recently. And we, we're on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, all that good stuff. If you're interested in listening to our podcast, you can just search the Wide Right Daddy Light Podcast Network on Spotify, Apple, whatever. Every place you can get a podcast. Yeah. All right, cool. Thanks a lot, man. Thank you for having me. Thanks, JT. Thanks. So, yeah, I've got the